Let us now turn to the reading of Holy Scripture, to God's Word. We turn to the Gospel of Luke and the 17th chapter, commencing our reading in the verse 1 through to the verse 33. Gospel of Luke, the 17th chapter, verse 1 through to the verse 33. Come, let us hear God's Word together. The Lord give us ears to hear and hearts to receive His precious Word. Then said He unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offences will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he be cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. He said unto the disciples, The days will come, and ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the 
other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation, and as it was in the days of Noah, shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Amen. May the Lord bless the public reading of his precious word, the glory of his name and to the good of our needful and never-dying souls. Dear congregation, I'd like to turn your very prayerful attention to that passage that I read to you in your hearing, the Gospel of Luke and the 17th chapter. The Lord helping me this evening as we look at some verses in this early part of this chapter about the subject of faith. The disciples ask, Lord, increase our faith. Maybe there are some here that are unsaved and you don't know what faith is. I'm never to assume, though all might be saved. We don't know, do we? The Lord knows. Do we have genuine faith? What is faith? What does it look like? Is faith merely believing things? Or is faith evidenced by our lives? I will submit to you, it's not only believing. But faith without works is a dead faith. Faith that doesn't resolve with a change of heart. Doesn't really have repentance, you see, because there's never faith without repentance. Can I repeat that? There's never faith without repentance. Repentance and faith are two things that always go together in the Word of God. You will find repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul left the elders at Miletus in Acts chapter 20, he said how he went from house to house, teaching repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance really is not only being sorry for our sins, but turning from our sins. Faith is seeing ourselves for what we are and God for who and what he is. And faith really has to do with a relationship with us and God. And I'm saying this addressing anybody who might be unsaved tonight. You say, well, all I'm lacking is faith. Well, what really is faith? We need to define it in scriptural terms. There are many 
Ways in which we can study what faith is. Hebrews tells us it's the evidence of things not seen and so on. But also we need to use what is called the analogy of Scripture. It's called the analogy of faith, by the way. What faith does, it compares Scripture with Scripture. The Scripture has many things to say about faith. It is a complex matter. It is a changed life. It's seeing yourself really for who you are and God for who he is and living in the light of it. What are you and what are I? We are debtors to God. Whether Christ died for us or not, we're still debtors to God. He brought us into this world and he gave every one of us life. He gave every one of us Breath in our nostrils. He's given us life to live. And so whether saved or not, whether Christ died for us or not, we are still debtors to God. Each and every one of us are God's creatures in the true sense. You see, to not give God glory to his name, to not live a life Honoring God is sin. And that's really how we come into this world. We act as if God owes us everything when we come into this world. But actually we owe him everything. I want us to look particularly at the verse 6 tonight. I want to garner our thoughts around the verse 6 as I seek to bring Truly a gospel message, what it means to be a Christian. If you're lost, if you're without Christ, and you're wondering what is the Christian life really all about? What is it to be a Christian? What is it to be a saved person? What is it to have a relationship with God? Read verse 6, and then I want to give you the background, the backdrop to the verse 6. Verse 6 reads, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now the charismatic movement totally misunderstand this verse completely. They say, well, the problem is, why you can't do certain things is you just don't have enough faith. The problem is you don't believe enough. Well, let me say this. What is faith based on? Faith is based on what God has said. If your faith is not based on what God has said, it's something of the figment of your imagination. It's something you want to believe. It's true. You can maybe even have faith that it's day out there. But we know very well it's night, it's dark. You can say to me, one thing is one color, it's another. But it's, it's actually one color. You can, you can say what you want, but it doesn't change the facts. Faith is based on the fact of God's word what he has said. And if you have faith 
in God, and God has said, that sycamine tree will be moved into the mount, into the to the sea, will be plucked up. It will be. You believe in God. That's faith, isn't it? Elijah was told that it wouldn't rain. And he prayed. And he when he prayed, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. He prayed in faith. And then when it didn't rain for so long, he prayed again that it would rain because God said it would rain. And then it rained. Let me ask you the question, where was Elijah's faith? It was in God's word, wasn't it? God never, Elijah never imagined God had said. Now, where does verse 6 really find its grounding? Have a look at the passage with me. Verse 6 comes on the backdrop of a statement that the Lord makes in verses 3 and 4 and a request that the disciples make in verse 5. Notice with me in verse 3. The Lord says to them, his disciples, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Why? Because that's what God commands. In other words, it's not an option. Jesus Christ makes that command. And woe betide you if that brother repents and you do not forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, he carries on doing it. And seven, by the way, is just meant to symbolize he carries on. And seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent. What does he say? Thou shalt forgive him. Now notice the statement that the apostles make. Against the backdrop of what he has commanded them to do. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, and by the way, that's not said in a vacuum. Their response is not said out of nothing. It's said against the backdrop of his command to go on forgiving. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. But it's not about faith, is it? Faith in what? Faith in you? But you've just told us to do it. It's about forgiveness. And notice what he says in verse 6. And the Lord said, and he's responding to their faith now. If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it should be obey you. In other words, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, the smallest seed, see, it's not the size of faith that's the issue. 
but it's the issue whether there is faith or not. Even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it would obey you. If you believe this is what God has said, remember, we define faith by what God has said, and you believe it, and you pray to God, and it will take place. God, you've said, that tree will be removed from this place, planted in the sea, it would happen. It's not a nebulous faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not the faith in faith movement. The issue is, he says, it's not the size of faith. And to prove this, he brings a parable. He brings a parable now, and you'll see it develop in verses 7 to the verse 10. He brings a parable to teach this. It's about a parable of obedience. See, the issue here is obedience. Has there been and is there repentance? Remember what I said, faith is seeing yourself for who you are and God for who he is. One to be obeyed, one to be feared, one to be honored. And you'll see it here in verses 7 to the verse 10. There's a divine parable used now that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to illustrate what faith looks like. You talk about faith. What is faith? Take God at his word, believe it, because he is God. And if you don't, it is sin. If you don't, you don't know God. And you don't really know who you are before God. You hear what I'm saying? You are his creature. He is the creator. And he is worthy to be obeyed. Now notice the parable with me. Verse 7, but which of you? You see, this comes now on the backdrop of what he's saying. But. It's all connected. It's a conjunctive word used to connect what he's just said about the mustard seed, what they have asked about increasing our faith. Verse 7, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? So the servant comes in. Let me just give you the picture. He's been working all day. Servant comes in. The master says, you go and you sit down and you eat your food. He says, would any of you, if you had a servant, would you ask him to do that? Or, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup. He prepares your food first before he prepares his own food. And gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? What was commanded him? He knows his job, he knows his duty as a servant. Now let me explain. In these days, this idea of a servant here is a slave. Okay? We're not here speaking about unbiblical slavery. We're talking about somebody, and as we'll see in Leviticus 25 verse 39, You may wish to turn there, but if somebody fell in hard times and they fell into debt, right, they would be taken into somebody's house and they would be able to pay that debt off instead of going to prison. 
And they would pay that debt off. And they would work as a slave to pay off that great debt. And whatever the master said, went. You didn't backchat him. You did what he commanded. Leviticus 25, 39. If thy brother that dwelleth with thee waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant. He is speaking about a Jew, the brother, the Jew. But as an hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. So if it was the 50th year, he was let off. If it was the seventh year, he was also free. But if in between the seven years, it was a Jubilee year, he was free to go. But if he fell upon a hard time, notice if he that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee. In other words, he was poor, couldn't pay off his debt. He could pay off that debt. Indeed, by working as a slave or a servant. Also, if somebody stole something. You know from Exodus 22, verse 3. And, and the person who has uh, taken something, the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him if he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So somebody stole something, he'd have to pay back. Double. And this is actually merciful. You wouldn't live in a cold prison, but you could go and work in somebody's house and uh, you'd pay off whatever you stole. You sold two oxen, you'd have to pay whatever the cost was for four. You have no money to make restitution. You paid, you worked off your debt. I think there'd be far less criminals today if that were the case. It's actually very merciful, isn't it? Now, that's the idea when we come here to Luke 17. This man has a servant, and the servant owes a great debt to this man. Now think of it. Who is the very one that is addressing the people but God? Jesus Christ is God. And who is he? We owe him everything. He gave you life. He gave you breath. You come into this world owing Jesus Christ everything. He gave you your parents. He made the world. And he is telling you, you forgive your brother. You see, if you really are a slave, and this master has been so good to you, and here's the thing, if Jesus Christ has paid for your debt, You who owe him everything, how should you serve him? You see, that's the question, isn't it? We ha have another picture. We have the picture of the ten lepers in this very chapter, don't we? There are ten lepers passing by. And uh, everybody beholds these lepers. Verse 11, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met with him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now think of that word mercy. They were right in saying, have mercy on us. How did any kind of illness come 
into the human body because of sin. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do anything for these lepers, it's a merciful act, isn't it? Truly, they understood, they cried the right thing. We need mercy. But actually, if you look at the passage, only one person saw it as mercy. And that's the Samaritan. It's not the self-righteous Jew. You see, they didn't really have faith. They didn't see God for who God is and themselves for who and what they were before God. You understand what I'm saying? You see, if you are a Christian, first of all, you see yourself as a debtor to God. But in fact, everybody is a debtor to God. As I said, whether Christ died for you or not, you live and you walk upon this earth, upon God's planet, upon His world, and you strut up and down as if God has to give you all the answers. And... You speak back to God, and you question God about things in your life. When he's given your word, his word, you say, well, I just need a little bit more faith. My friends, the heavens and the earth are screaming day unto day to you that there is a God. They declare his glory. God sent his son into this world. And that's a tremendous thing that he did. Think of the greatness of God. Think of the greatness of the servant owner and the debt that he paid for his people. If they truly are his, they'll live for him and they'll be thankful for him. You see, this is the spirit of somebody that has been changed. Think, imagine for a minute the servant, he comes in. He thinks... This master has saved me from destruction. I could have been left out there and I could have been punished. I have no way to pay my debt. And my friends, let let me say this. You see, the person that is truly a Christian, it's not a problem for him to forgive others. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. Forgive others. Forgive one another their debts as you have forgiven others. Lord, teach us to pray, they said. He said, pray this, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. If you can't forgive others, guess what? You've never been forgiven. Peter and the disciples are saying, yeah, we just lack a bit of faith. He says, look, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's faith in what God has said. Notice the connection, verse 10. So likewise... Does he th- I'll read from verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? What was commanded you? Forgive your brother. You have a problem forgiving? Well, you've never really been forgiven. He's never really taken debt. You see, but the master is dealing with this man's debt. Verse 10, so likewise ye... When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we're unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You see? 
Let me say it this way. Sinners have a duty to repent. Why? Because God is God, and all of us have broken his commandments. I'm afraid there's a very truncated gospel being preached today, and it's repent so that you can go to heaven. That's truncated. That's wrong. You should repent because you should do, because you have grieved your Creator, and it is sin not to repent. It is wrong not to confess your sins and to forsake them, because God has made you as His creature to glorify Him. You don't repent simply to go to heaven. You see, that's selfish. It's self-centered. I do this so that God scratches my back. No, you do this because God is worthy. You obey his commandments because they're good commandments. You repent because you have grieved God. It is man's duty to obey God. And the scriptures say God commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is necessary. And you see, it's when you begin to see that God is worthy. How can I live like this? I'm living on his planet. I'm occupying space. Remember what he said concerning the tree? that would not bear fruit. The fig tree, after three years, it was digged around, compassed, everything, tended, never bore fruit. That's the human heart. That was Israel. He said, take the axe, cut it down. That's us by nature. You see, we live, we come into this world as if we're God, little gods. God is God, and it's a mercy we still hear, isn't it? And Peter, James, John, God commands you to forgive. Your brother says, forgive me. You say, I can't, but don't expect God to forgive you. The one that has known mercy will be merciful. You know the parable, don't you, of uh, the... Unjust servant. You know the parable of the one who owed much money and he was forgiven, but he couldn't forgive his servant who owed less. He was a lost man. That's the whole point. You've never really seen yourself that you are a great debtor to God. You know, people think sin is a small thing, don't they? Maybe you have family members like that or friends. And they think sin is such a small thing. What do you see? The, the whole issue is this. What is your understanding of God? I mean, a God that can speak the universe into being by his word must be mighty and powerful. Awesome. We could not stand a millisecond of his gaze. He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. We would vanish into oblivion. You know, man thinks he knows he can't get anywhere near the sun. You know, the rocket scientists will tell you we can't travel to the sun. My friend, you can't travel to God. The sun 
is nothing compared to the heat of God's wrath. God is infinitely glorious. And we are sinners. You see, God is not a God with a small g. I'm afraid that's so often how people think. One of these lepers falls down and he lifts up his voice and he gives glory to God. Have mercy on me. He really knew that he deserved this leprosy. It's the case, isn't it, for those who truly see their sins for what they are. You see, when God saves you, my friend, that is what makes the Christian tick. This is a message for Christians too, isn't it? What has God done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ? If he asks you something so small to forgive your brother, is that too big for you? You can't surely be such a fool to think that God will overlook that. You take care of yourself first. You come in, you you get your meal first. It's part of serving God, isn't it? To do good to others. Of course, you can't save them. But you can show that mercy has been shown you. You show by your life that you live selflessly. And you spend and you be spent for the sake of others. You don't use and you don't abuse others. Well, these are God's people. That's what faith is, you see. Faith, you are being reduced. God is increasing. You are brought low. You are cut down to size. As I should be. That's faith. That was the problem. Lord, we just need more faith. We just need to believe a little bit more. That's not the problem. The problem is you think too much of yourself. It's a problem with me. It's a problem with all of us. We think far too much of ourselves. And too little of God. We have to be honest, don't we? For God has respect unto the humble. The servant who truly sees what a great debt he owes how good he's going to be to that person. You see, God is not a hard taskmaster. He doesn't drive us to despair. But when he saves us, it's a good service. You know from that passage in uh, Exodus, where the servant desires to stay in the master's house, what happens? He says to the master, get a nail. Drive it through my ear and nail it to the door. There was a sign. I'm going to stay in this house. I don't want to move. I'm thy servant. And you know what? If he's met a wife in the house there, he keeps the wife in the house, but he stays and he serves the master. He has children. That's where they serve. And that's true for every Christian. This is the best place to be. This is where I want my wife. This is where I want my sons. This is where I want my my daughters. 
to serve the living God. Otherwise you serve Satan. Otherwise you serve the world. Otherwise you serve sin. That's what you serve if you do not serve Jesus Christ. He who sins is a slave to sin. You see, the problem with the disciples here was not a lack of faith, but it was sin. It was sin preventing them from forgiving one another. And that is always the problem. The problem is not faith. The problem is not what God has said. The problem is the human heart. And if we do not have that spirit, we're not born again. We're lost. We are without Jesus Christ. And without any hope. Yes, my friends, that is the truth. That is the gospel truth. You see, when God saves, He saves you from a different life. You become His servant. They had to learn what it was to wash one another's feet because as they were doing it, they were doing it as unto Christ. That's the whole lesson of Christ washing the feet. What they were doing, they were doing to serve Christ. In Exodus 21, we just turn there. Exodus 21, 1 to 6. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve. And in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married then, his wife shall go out with him. If his master had given him a wife, She'll have borne him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Now notice, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him in to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That's a true child of God. If we love our master, we're his. We're happy to be his servant. My friend, that's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to have faith To have faith is to be taken out of this world and to live in Christ and to be ready for him to take us to glory. Now I ask you the question, whose are you? Satan's or Christ? You're one or the other. You belong to Christ. For you belong to Satan in this world. May God bless his word.